RBN. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Fontenelle Final Bell here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Susan Littlefield. An interesting market trade today. You know the old saying, what goes up must come down. And we definitely saw that today within the wheat complex. But that opens up the question, are the highs been set in the wheat or is there more to come our way? We saw some massive selling within the commodities today. And the main market players will look at wheat market, uh, stock market, the crude oil, and of course, what else is happening on the livestock side. And all the integral parts to make the movement we saw on a web. Wednesday. Oh, yeah. And there was a WASDI report. Let's throw that in there as well. Arlen Suderman joins us. He is with StoneX here at uh, Commodity Classic as well with me in New Orleans. So uh, let's start looking at this this price today. Really, I think you summed it up. What comes up must come down. And we definitely saw that today. Yeah, we really did. And really not a surprise to us. I know it's painful from the producer standpoint. These gyrations have been painful for both producers and end users trying to figure out what's up and what's not and, and when. And and uh, these limit moves have really played havoc with the basis market as well. But when wheat goes up, the expanded limits day after day after day, we anticipated that we'd have some back-to-back limit down days. And uh, that very well may be the case now. Uh, and that's part of the market kind of trying to work things out. Does that mean that the high is in in this market? I don't think we can say that either. The initial response of the market was an emotional response, an emotional response of money from the funds coming in and just buying commodities, and an emotional response of some firms that were short in the market who couldn't get out because of the daily limit moves, getting kind of in a panic mode. And each day that went by, that panic increased uh, because they couldn't get out of those short positions. And when limits expand, yes, that gives the opportunity for trade to happen, but it just put them at that much of a greater loss, so to speak, in their trap positions. And so we've now been able to trade those positions to get those out of those positions. Now we're kind of trading the fundamentals. And I think it's going to take the market a little while to really figure out the fundamentals, to really figure out what is a fair value for the various commodities with the current situation. That would be that situation would include the uh, the war, the geopolitical risk with uh, Russia's invasion of Ukraine and the implications for that, both short term and long term. And it would include the weather problems that we're seeing in various parts of the world, including South America and including right here in the U.S. Plains. So has a high been set for the wheat or is there still more opportunities there? I think there's still more opportunities. As we've said before, and the old saying in Chicago is nobody rings a bell in Chicago when the high is in. You don't know until it's over. I think today one of the things going on is we were trading sharply lower with wheat. In fact, Chicago was locked the limit lower before the WASD report came out, and USDA did nothing to really change that dynamic. Consider that crude oil traded a $23 trading range today, and when the grain trade ended, we were down $14, $15 a barrel. So we had a lot of, of downdraft going on anyway. And then you look at some of the changes USDA made, and frankly, I thought they were pretty appropriate changes based on what's happening in Ukraine. I was a little bit surprised they did it this report. I thought they may wait until the April report to do that. But they did make some adjustments. Uh, They reduced Ukraine's wheat exports by 4 million metric tons, Russia by 3 million metric tons. 
I think they may have a little bit more cuts to go there. Um, but they only, they in fact cut U.S. exports by 10 million bushels. And the trade, I think, was a little bit shocked by that, but they really shouldn't have been because there's only three months left in our marketing year. And there are other places that have wheat in the near term to fill that gap. And USDA kind of acknowledged that. Um, they raised Australian wheat exports by 2 million metric tons. They raised India's exports by a million and a half metric tons. A little bit here, a little bit there. Uh, and they start filling the gap. I think there's more work to be done, but most of that will likely end up influencing our new crop marketing year, which isn't in the WASDE report until the month of May. Well, you know, there's there's a lot of speculation and, and water cooler chatter on social media wondering about Ukraine and if they're even going to get that opportunity to get a lot of these crops in the ground. Absolutely. Now, their winter wheat crop is obviously... And in the ground, and frankly, it looks pretty good where the tanks haven't driven across it. Um, we know that when this started, about 50% of the top dressing nitrogen was in position to be applied. And don't expect any more to come into the country. Some of that has been applied in the western half of the country on the wheat there. Not much has been applied in the east based on our sources uh, from what we gather. Um, and so the question then is, how bad will yields be hurt where fertilizer was not applied? Thinking is pretty significantly. But the next question is, will any of that be harvested? And that could be a real challenge right now. The farmers, are, for the most part, have joined the war effort. And that is lingering on. Will it linger on into the summer? We don't know the question to that. It, assuming that it doesn't, what will be the damage to uh, farms? What will be the damage to infrastructure? Will there be fuel available for those combines? Will there be parts available for the combines? What about the infrastructure of hauling that wheat then to ports? Will they be able to actually use those ports? Will they have to try to figure out some export mechanism uh, over land? That's a possibility, but right now there's a lot of questions about it. And And then you look at 2022 plantings of spring wheat and corn and sunflowers and all the 2022 crops and right now um, our people are telling us that they're very skeptical there would be any incentive to really try to put out much of a crop other than maybe trying to meet their own needs stick around folks we do have a lot more coming up here from commodity classic it's the fontanelle final bell right here on the rural radio network here is another Fontenelle feature. I'm Joe Gangwish with Fontenelle Hybrids featuring another dealer for our network. We're going to visit with Terry Kachera from Bassett, Nebraska. And Terry, tell us a little bit about your dealership and working for Fontenelle. Well, Joe, I've been a dealer for Fontenelle since 1972. During my career as a seed dealer and farmer in Nebraska, I've seen a lot of change. As genetics and technology progress through the years and decades, Fontenelle has always been as progressive as any seed company that I've ever been around. Terry, any advice that you've learned through all these years of dealing with Fontenelle? I've always said uh, in farming, you're always going to make mistakes. You know, in most mistakes, you just can't help. You know, it's the weather or machine breakdown or pivot blows over or something like that. Uh, hybrid selection really isn't one that you should have to worry about. And Fontenelle always stands well, always yields well, and is fairly priced. That's Terry Kuchera from Bassett, Nebraska. To learn more about products or to become a dealer, just go to Fontenelle.com. BN. 
Welcome back to the Fontenelle Final Bell here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Susan Littlefield. Joining me here in New Orleans at Commodity Classic is Arlen Suderman. Again, he's with StoneX. And wanted to ask you, I was reading your guys' Grain Fundamentals newsletter that comes out. And an interesting point, talking about Russia's prime minister, says that the country must prioritize domestic grain supplies over export markets. So that's going to, and we talked about it a little bit there on the front half, but that's really going to open up some opportunities maybe for U.S. and South America to pick up some some much needed uh, export purchases. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, but it does tighten things up as well. And why mm-hmm. I think we could see a lot more volatility going forward. Uh, you think consider it a quarter of the world's grain is grown in that region of the world, and. Uh, uh, Putin kind of stirred things up on uh, Tuesday when Russia released a statement saying that they were going to ban the export of strategic commodities, but they didn't specifically say what those were. And I got a lot of questions about that as I was traveling. And the and I think what we really saw was, and this has been the pattern with Russian President Putin, is when a country in the West says we're not going to buy out of protest we're not going to buy x commodity well then he comes back and says well then we're not going to sell it to you and so it's kind of his way of saving face with all the countries in the west that are blocking um the uh, purchase of products be it crude oil or be it wheat or be it fertilizer or whatever because that's largely what's happening and so uh, he would like to sell as much as he can because he needs to finance the war effort. But when he sees countries cutting off the purchases of those commodities, then he says, I'm not going to sell it to you. But when you look at wheat in particular between Russia and Ukraine, that's 29% of the world's export trade. That's a huge amount of the world's wheat supply of millable wheat. There's a lot of feed wheat in the world and stuff, but keep in mind when you look at uh, a graph showing world wheat supplies, you think, oh, we're amply supplied, but 50% of the world's wheat supply, a little over that, about 51%, is in China and not being exported. It's something that they're kind of hanging on to, and they're an importer of wheat of about 9 to 10 million metric tons a year. Uh, And another 10 or 11% is in India. Now, India is starting to do some exporting of wheat and kind of fill in need, but it's not real high-quality wheat, we fear. Um, So uh, when you look at exportable supplies of quality milling wheat, those supplies are rather tight. So this really does tighten things up. You look at the corn scenario, tight as well. Um, Ukraine exports 32, 33 million metric tons of corn per year. That's a significant amount of corn. The United States is the largest exporter, followed by Brazil and Argentina, and then comes Ukraine. So you're taking that off the world market. And if we don't plant any corn in Ukraine this year, that means it's off the market for another year. Uh, And so that gives us just no margin for error for for, uh, weather problems in this year ahead uh, anywhere in the world. That includes the safrina crop and our crop. In Argentina's crop and so that's why I continue to say I'm not going to say if the highs are in because we simply don't know there are simply too many things that can still go wrong and we haven't even talked about uh, the short soybean crop in South America yet yeah no kidding having said that is it going to be the soybean crop and other main market players going to be wheat the stock market and crude oil going forward in the next week or so 
Yeah, I, I think we're going to continue to see this volatility, and that means big price swings. That's going to continue to be with us. Uh, USDA lowered Brazil soybean crop to 127 million metric tons. Mind you, we started up there 144, 145 million metric tons. Uh, we're currently, from our customer survey, at 121 and a half, no, 121.2 million metric tons. And there's some local private sources that are even lower that I think we're probably getting close, but we're big question mark is Argentina and when you count in the losses in Paraguay we're already looking at about 1.3 billion bushels of lost soybean production and USDA is trying to make that work in the world balance sheet but I think there's more work to be done that's why my ending stocks estimate for the current year is still at 182 million bushels I think USDA is going to continue to come downward toward that number uh, and then it's going to increase exports in the new marketing year as well because brazil won't have any soybeans to export while we're exporting this fall so we got a lot of stories yet to go ahead of us we haven't even talked about the tight edible oil supplies that are continuing to tighten up particularly with the, all of it that's missing now from the black sea region uh, and uh, so i think things are going to remain tight over the next year we're going to have times when prices fall further than we think they should. And we're going to have times when we're going to smile at the opportunities as producers and end users are going to cringe. Well, I wish we had another 20 minutes to talk, Arlen. Unfortunately, we don't. Having said that, what's the best way for folks to get a hold of you? StoneX.com or over on Twitter. My handle is Arlen, A-R-L-A-N-F-F-101. Arlen Suderman joins us. You can catch him here at Commodity Classic, too, by the way. And just a reminder, commodity futures and options do involve a substantial risk of loss not suitable to all investors. That's been today's Fontenelle Final Bell, being brought to you by Fontenelle Hybrids and all your local dealers on the Rural Radio Network.